We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time, it's time for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host, Gavin Phipps. And we're going all continental Europe today as I'm joined in the studio this evening by Dimitri Buras from Belgium, who works for the Now Now Media-owned China Post. Hello, good evening. And we welcome back Klaus Badenhagen from Germany, who reports about Taiwan for Well German Media. Good evening. Tonight we'll be discussing two 2020 election no-goes, but eight ballot hopefuls, 11 allies delivering a letter to the United Nations backing Taiwan's participation in the global decision-making body, a German man's plans for Berlin to recognise Taiwan, new laws for people to use drones, and huge demand for lucky temple caps. But we'll begin with President Tsai Ing-wen on Monday of this week, expressing her regret at the Solomon Islands' decision to switch diplomatic recognition to China and also blasting Beijing for resorting to dollar diplomacy. Tsai accused Beijing of further squeezing Taiwan's international space, saying China has continually used financial and political pressure to suppress the island. Foreign Minister Joseph Wu formally announced Taiwan had cut diplomatic ties with the South Pacific Island shortly after the Solomons' Democratic Coalition for Government and Advancement voted 27 to none with six abstentions to establish diplomatic relations with China. China. And that decision was later approved by the cabinet of the Solomon Islands Prime Minister Manasseh Solgavara. And that came as Taiwan's Deputy Foreign Minister Xu Zhen was in fact visiting the Solomon Islands seeking to maintain diplomatic relations. Meanwhile, US senators, including Marco Rubio, Ted Yoho, and Cory Gardner, have condemned the Solomon Islands decision to switch diplomatic recognition from Taipei to Beijing. And they're now calling for members of the US Congress to move forward with the Taiwan Allies International Protection and Enhancement Initiative. Act or Taipei Act for now, for now, as a way of stopping Taiwan from losing more diplomatic allies to Beijing. The act, if passed, will require Washington to engage with governments worldwide in a bid to stop China from poaching the island's diplomatic allies and penalise countries that choose to switch recognition to Beijing. And it states that 90 days after its enactment and every 180 days thereafter, the Secretary of State or a designee should submit a report on actions taken by the US to reaffirm and strengthen Taiwan's international alliances to appropriate congressional committees. So, Klaus, do you think the government should have taken the initiative and simply told Honorara to cease messing around because it dragged out so long, this Solomon Islands thing? But, of course, obviously, they're not going to say stop messing around and naff off. They're going to say it more diplomatically because it looked like the Solomon Islands was already out of the door thanks to Chinese money, well, let's say about a week before this all started this week. Well... If they want to go, they want to go. I mean, there's no way keeping them. What made this case a bit special was that also just a few days before the actual uh, decision was announced, there was a delegation visiting Taipei, and Tsai Ing-wen posted a tweet uh, meeting the delegate and saying that she is glad the relations are so good. And th- that um, that didn't look so well in retrospect. But um, I think what the government should have done or maybe should seriously consider the next time an LA jumps ship, which will happen, is not being the first to break off the relations. I mean, why why does Taipei have to be the ones who say, okay, we are ending the diplomatic relations? It makes them look bad. People can always say, yeah, it was Taiwan who broke off the relations, actually. Why not at least have them make this step if they don't want to, if they don't want to maintain these relations? 
it could be a face thing, Dimitri. They're saying, well, we're, we're going to say we're breaking off relations with you because we're going to save face and not have you say it to us. Well, that's the point. Usually you break relations first because you want to save face. And the second step is to blame China, actually, because the president again got uh, at the presidential office made a very important uh, speech in which she blamed China for uh, squeezing Taiwan's international space. Well, in this sense, the Taipei Act you just mentioned, I don't think can't help that much because we can't, again, rely on another country for military protection, but also for diplomatic ties. So maybe the United States can put more pressure on diplomatic allies to maybe uh, just save the ties with, uh, with Taiwan. But can the United States also maybe invest more in these uh, specific countries to make these uh, local government um, so that the, these local governments won't have to rely on, on Chinese investment, Chinese tourists to boost their economy. So, well, if it's a political issue between Taiwan and China, Taiwan also needs to work harder in trying to solve this, this political issue because uh, there was another statement by the Chinese government a few days ago um, basically saying that Taiwan will lose its diplomatic allies one after another if they don't change their policy. Yes, six in three years, Klaus. Yeah, just going back to this American Taipei Act initiative really quickly. I mean, it it could be construed as like an example of hypocritical American foreign policy. I mean, the U.S. were the ones who broke up diplomatic relations with Taiwan 40 years ago. And now punishing other countries for doing what they did at that point. um, Well... I don't. I don't uh, think everybody will see the logic in that. And also, other countries could find it a bit annoying. Basically, they're being bullied by America for yeah. doing what they think is right yeah, financially. China, Beijing can present itself as the savior who is not having any political preconditions and just wants to help out and and help them develop. La la la. So, this could backfire. I think. As I was talking to Dimitri, as I mentioned to Klaus there before we got waylaid with something else, this is the sixth country in three years under the Tsai administration. I mean, do you think Beijing could cease doing this in such a way if the KMT win the next election or it will just simply simply continue doing it? Well, maybe they can delay and try to maybe wait another few months and years to see the new president's policies and see whether they're more China-friendly. But there is no reason for them to stop because they're pretty much successful. Uh, You mentioned that the Chinese government uh, promised to invest money in those, um, you know, these economies. Well, this is real money, and these governments really need these mon the the money. And Taiwan cannot just provide that that much money. Is it that much? I mean, we're talking about some tens of millions. Five hundred millions. That's supposedly what China gave the Solomon Islands. Five hundred million. Yeah, US dollar. That's. Which is a fair amount of money. Yeah. But of course, however, how much money of that goes to the people of the Solomon Islands? Yeah, and also over which time? I mean, they will not just write them a check for 500, mil- billion, what, 500 million all at once. So. Well, we can, we can maybe uh, expect the Chinese government to provide more than actually cash to these government, maybe to include and try to bring their economy, to include their economy into maybe uh, the, you know, the Belt and Road and then just trying to include them uh, in their, to help boost their economic development. Let's say that if the Chinese government allows more tourists to go visit Solomon Islands, that could be a, a fantastic boost for the local economy. But, of course, it goes back to the question, class of dollar diplomacy or checkbook diplomacy, which obviously the Taiwan government for years has been saying this is really bad, but do you think it can really ignore it? 
Well, I remember when my angel took office in 2008, he said, we are going to end the checkbook diplomacy. When Tsai Ing-wen took office, she said she would end this. So, um, I mean, where do you draw the line? You're always, in a way, if you if you give financial aid, you're always um, propping up the government that is in power right now, and you can never be sure where the money really ends up. I mean, as long as you do not transfer it to the president's personal savings account, what can you do? Well, okay, we we all agree that Taiwan has done a, a great deal to help and support the local economy of Solomon Islands. They also have invest in uh, hospitals, and we had NGOs from Taiwan going there to help local people. But we also, by through this policy, we actually um, the local people actually uh, actually waiting and demanding more and more from the Taiwan government. And you can't expect when there is a switch in uh, between the ruling and the opposition party in uh, in uh, in your diplomatic allies. You can't expect them to come to Taiwan right away and ask for more, because the contracts that were negotiated, the NGOs that were sent to these countries, we can't double that. We can't do more overnight. So we have to admit that the Solomon Islands has a democratically elected government. And they had a policy. They just want to develop their economy, the local economy. If Taiwan cannot deliver more, we can't blame them to look towards China. It's fair. Right. Let's move on now to this week's election news, which was led by Terry Gore announcing after weeks of speculation that he won't be running for president in January's election. Now, Gore says he spent two days apologising to his supporters for not moving forward with his plans. And in a video clip posted on his Facebook page, Gore bowed and said that he decided to pull out of the race after deep deliberations. Now, the former Honhai chairman also took a swipe at the island's political scene, saying he was reluctant to be part of a political farce and did not want his supporters to be bullied. And he went on to say that he does not want to be in a contest dominated by popularism and class struggle, which he says is the current situation here in Taiwan. Now, Taipei Mayor Kerwin also ended long-running speculation about his presidential ambitions this week, announcing that he also won't be registering as an independent candidate. Kerr also played down talk that he earlier had planned to run, saying that he never said he would run in next year's presidential ballot and that speculation surrounding such a move was propagated by the Pan Green and Pam blue camps and he went on to say that both the KMT and the DPP viewed him as an imaginary enemy by adding him to their presidential primary opinion polls however the Central Election Commission on Wednesday of this week did announce that eight prospective independent presidential candidates have registered to run in January's ballot and they include former Vice President Annette Liu, Buddhist Master Huang Tuoyu, Lan Xinqi, an ex-convict who served 19 years in prison for a 1981 double homicide and judicial reform advocate Tsang Kun Bing. Now, all eight candidates must now collect 280,384 valid signatures, or 1.5% of the electorate from the 2016 legislative election, in support of their bids by November the 2nd. So, Dimitri there, Terry Gore finally dropped out, Kerwin Jur dropped out, and we've got eight independent candidates all in one week. Well, it's very sad for Taiwan democracy, but it was also actually pretty much we could have expected that, because in Taiwan, uh you it's it's not just the presidential election to carry on your policies after you got elected you need the support from the parliament so you need to have legislators that support you so without the KMT it would have been very complicated for uh Terry Go 
to actually to have a majority of legislators that would have supported him. Uh, we are just now four months before the election, so alone that would, as an independent, that would have been uh, very complicated. Another point with uh, Coenge, the Taipei mayor, well, he faced pretty much the same, the same, the same problem. Um, Coenge is very popular in Taiwan, but he can't transfer that popularity to other people. So in the previous election, in the local election, he also tried to uh, he, he supported some independent candidates, but a very few of them got elected. So again, being a very popular, a successful businessman is one thing, but to get the proper support to push your policies later on, it's another thing. So in the end, again, we go back to the uh, traditional black and blue thing, confrontation during the election. For the other eight candidates, I'm not sure if they can't, you know, we will find out later on if they really can gather that many signatures. Ryan Klaus, was it a surprise that Terry Gore dropped out and Kerwinger decided not to run to you, or did you predict this many, many months ago? I think it was a surprise because he... He was pretty far ahead in his planning, and yeah. I think he tried to have all the infrastructure in place. And then at some point, in the last, almost the last minute, he decided to, to uh, he changed his mind and decided to call it quits. So, um, whatever moved him to make that decision, I mean, Nathan Beto, who is writing the Frozen Garlic Block, one of the best election blocks in Taiwan, he says there has been reports that some Foxconn subsidiary was um, prohibited from being traded um, in China. So maybe there was a warning by China, stay out of this or else your company um, will suffer. But um, that I wouldn't quite understand because according to the surveys, if Go had run as a third candidate, he would have damaged Tsai Ing-wen more than Han Guoyu, actually. He would have siphoned off more votes from the DPP camp, from those who are um, well, not satisfied with the current government performance but who would not vote for Angoyu than from the KMT. So um, I know on the other hand, you now have Annette Liu running, who will, if she um, gathers the amount of signatures required, who will definitely hurt Tsai. Um, even if she only gets 2% of the vote or 5% of the vote, those will be votes that will be missing from the DPP. But um, I don't think it's it's a done deal saying that if... If Terry Go had run, it would have been bad for the KMT and for Hong Kong. What about if Taipei Mayor Kerwin Jura run? I mean, do you think he would have... I mean, possibly he could have gone at 30% of the vote? Or is that too much of an estimate 30% Taiwan-wide? I don't think so. I mean... I mean, he's not known outside Taipei, really, is he? What does he really stand for, I mean, politically? He... He is shifting, shifting his own positions. What would be his cross-trade policies? Could you give him any kind of um, foreign credentials? I'm, I'm not so sure if even he himself ever seriously considered entering this race. And, Dimitri, what about Annette Liu? I mean, Klaus there was saying he thinks that Annette Liu could dent the Green Camp's votes, but do you think Annette Liu could really do much of a dent? I don't think so. I, my take is that... Um in Taiwan democracy, most people still stick to party lines and they they vote according to party lines. And that's also what we can see from uh, uh, Terry Go's decision. At one point, I think Terry Go was, was very disappointed by the KMT 
and maybe they were and maybe I, I speculate but there were promises last year that when he supported one candidate in Kaohsiung and he maybe offered some financial support for that specific candidate he didn't expect that candidate later on to run for president because I believe that Terry Go one year ago was clear crystal clear he knew that he wanted to run for president but within the KMT uh, he supported the KMT, the KMT financially uh, for years, and I believe he felt somehow betrayed by uh, the primary and then what happened during the primary. And he knows that actually without the party, it's impossible to run a local, a local election because the party is the one that gathers the supporters in local towns, in small towns, do those big meetings. You can't do that without a party. And... Annette Lou will face exactly the same problem because you need locally. It's not just bringing cash. I believe the Terrigo has the resources to do that, but most people actually take cash from whoever. So maybe they take, they can organize an event for the blue camp and then another organize, organize another event for the green camp. So, well, that shows the limitations of Taiwan's democratic system, and then we hope that maybe in the future we'll see some improvements. Well, I think there's no way that Annette Lu would um, get more than 10% of the vote. I mean, yeah. I would bet my money on that. But mm. she might get 2 or 3%. She is a household name. She was vice president, and the deep green camp only needs to see her name on the ballot, and mm. they know who she is. So um, she, she could well end up with 2 3 4% of the vote, and th these will be votes that will be missing from the DPP camp in the end when everything is counted. Yeah. Right, now it's that time of the year once again when the government dishes out thanks to Taiwan's remaining diplomatic allies who are attending the annual UN General Assembly in New York. And on Wednesday of this week, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs announced that representatives from 11 of Taiwan's allies delivered a joint letter to the United Nations Secretary-General, Antonio Guterres, expressing their support for Taiwan's participation in the UN. Now, according to the Ministry, the letter was delivered by representatives from the 11 diplomatic allies as well as the Vatican. But with the exception of St Vincent and the Grenadines. Now, although the Holy See did not sign the letter, the Vatican's Deputy Permanent Representative to the UN, to the UN rather, delivered it to the UN Secretariat, along with the other allies in accordance with past practices. Now, Honduras and Paraguay also wrote separately to the UN Secretariat to show their strong support for Taiwan's UN participation. Now, the government has said that its campaign for UN entry this year, and it's very, very quiet. In fact, it hasn't even made the pages of the newspapers it's been so quiet, which is a bit of a a difference from re previous years. Anyway, it focuses on Taiwan's role in promoting the global decision-making body's sustainable development goals. And the Ministry of Foreign Affairs also says it's once again calling for the lifting of a ban on Taiwan passport holders and local journeys from visiting UN premises and also from reporting on UN events, as well as requesting that the UN cease leaving Taiwan out of its activities. So, Klaus, the US, UN time again. The UN, as one of our regular guests call it, the pity party, he calls it, yes. Yeah, it's like the annual ritual, um, trying to make your voice heard at the same time, not wanting to to um, annoy people too much, like the way Chen Chui-bian did it, requesting a former UN entry. I mean, this, this will be over. Why don't they just focus on one thing, for example, on the fact that Taiwanese passport holders are not allowed to enter any UN building even as visitors i mean this is an injustice this is a travesty that everybody worldwide should be able to see there's something wrong here instead of focusing on some diplomatic initiatives that will just go nowhere 
Yeah, the, the UN's Sustainable Development Goals. So, Dimitri, what are the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals? Well, I'm not so <laughs> sure about them, but technically you don't need to be part of the UN to agree and to carry these goals forward. Uh, this is this is the, the problem with this annual um, thing, the letter they sent to the United Nations. Uh, let's put it straight. Let's put it this way. The United Nations is a gentleman's club. You won't be allowed into the club until the gentlemen's invite you to get in. It has nothing to do with going to New York City, putting a show over there. We've sent hundreds of people over there. We had lots of different activities. We've sent millions. We spend millions of anti dollars on this thing every year. So the question is, why do they actually do this every year? Well, there is one reason. First, it's for the record. The ruling party wants to show that every year they are pushing for this bid and they know that they can't achieve it that way. The only way to achieve and to cut a deal on this N, uh, UN membership is you have to address this issue with China. The government doesn't want to do that. Another reason why this year we do it again is that it's an election year. So we have to show our voters and supporters that we are doing what we can for just to join the United Nations body. But, well, technically, we know it's not going to work. But again, we are spending the resources on doing this. So, well, it's hopeless. Yeah, you, I mean, there should be a decision made. Is this uh, really a diplomatic effort? Is it trying to prove our diplomatic credentials, our credibility to this gentleman's club? Or is it an opportunity to get some worldwide media attention that we want to grasp? Well, And if it's about the attention thing, then they should focus on subjects that really get people's attention, like the unjust exclusion from visiting UN offices. But this way, it, it's, it's neither the one nor the other. Okay. What is it to be a member of the United Nations or the international community? Let me ask you, how many, how many refugees from the Middle East have been able to come to Taiwan? Do we take refugees? I wrote an editorial on that in Taiwan. We just keep on saying we want to be part of the international community. Yes. So why don't you welcome a few hundred, a few thousands of refugees from the Middle East to Taiwan? It's not just that. It's not just this this old sad story we keep playing, you know, every year about we are we are excluded from the international community. You don't need to be part of the United Nations to agree to sustainable goals, to welcome refugees, to to do more for the international community. So, well, for that, German Germany actually gave a stunning example. You welcome how many how many refugees did you welcome a few over the last few years? What? In the case of Taiwan, you, you're absolutely right. I mean, this is a case where they can conveniently say, oh, we are not a UN member, so we do not need to have a refugee yeah. law in place. Um, in, in, in all other aspects, they, um, they, they try to behave as if they are already a responsible member of the international community, um, including UN membership. For example, the uh, United Nations um, Human Rights Conventions, Taiwan did voluntarily sign these into domestic law, even though they are not a member. They just pretend that they are, and they say, we want to follow the same rules. But then again, if it's not convenient, they are not. So you're absolutely right. There's a, there's a contradiction here. You can't say that, I'll do it if I'm a member. Well, just do it first. We'll talk later. Anyway, I'll have to take a short break now, but we will right back after these rather important commercials.
Welcome back to Taiwan this week. And as Klaus is in the studio today, we'll get all Teutonic on his head as a German national is seeking worldwide endorsement of a petition that he's launched asking the government in Berlin to establish formal diplomatic ties with Taiwan. Now, the petition was submitted to the German parliament on May the 31st and posted online on September the 11th to collect the signatures. Now, more than 50,000 signatures will be required by an October the 9th deadline in order for the petition to be put on the parliamentary agenda for debate. Now, the endorsement is open to citizens of any country, not just Germany. And according to Taiwan's representative office in Munich, if the petition is approved by the parliament, German lawmakers will be able to ask Berlin to forge formal relations with the island. So, Klaus, are we likely to see Angela Merkel stand up in the Bundestag and announce, Ich bin ein Taipeier anytime soon? Short answer, nine, nine, <laughs> nine, nine, nine. <laughs> No, 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 it's not going to happen. I mean, this whole process will um, get stuck at, at some point of the way. And uh, l let's just be clear about what's actually happening here, because uh, the way you just put it is not 100% correct. So there's a way in Germany to issue an online petition. Everybody can do that. Um, only very few of these are accepted. They look at like the formal aspects, criteria and all that. So this one has been accepted. It has been um, issued by some single person that nobody really knows who it is. There's a name, but no one knows who this guy is or who, what his relation to Taiwan is. Did you Google him? Of course I did. And what came up? Um, nothing that would make clear why he would go through all the lengths to, to submit this petition and why he would be willing to step up if there should be a public hearing. So anyway, now we are in the... Um, process of trying to get 50,000 signatures and because Taiwanese jumped on this and see this as an opportunity to get some attention, um, they translated the whole thing into Chinese and, and shared Facebook posts saying, okay, you need to sign here, you need to click here, you need to click here and your vote will be counted. And as of today, we are at 25,000 votes already. So it looks like it will get the 50,000 votes. So what will happen then? Then it does not go to parliament automatically. It's a matter of the petition committee so it's it's a committee of the parliament like um like the defense committee so these i don't know 10 parliamentarians will look at this petition and they might decide to bury it that's possible or they might decide to hold a public hearing about it in the committee not in the parliament and then they will invite this person who submitted this petition and then there will be a public debate in the committee and this would indeed be a chance for Taiwan to get some well at least national attention in Germany but after that the committee would need to vote to actually send this to parliament and to give a recommendation to parliament and to vote on this and then the parliament would need to debate this and they, there is no way in hell that looking at the German one China policy as it stands that there would be any way the parliament would recommend to the government to actually switch diplomatic recognition i mean it's it's like a it's like a snowflake in hell it it will it will um melt it will melt sooner or later yeah sure also looking at this petition there's actually some factual errors in there i mean this person who wrote it he included things like um both the republic and of china and the people's republic of china have been un members at the same time until Republic of China was thrown out. That's just wrong. I mean, whoever wrote this, he didn't even get his historical facts right. So people are embracing this now and saying this is a great thing, sign here. It's because they are hoping for some attention, but um, it's, it's not something you could actually 
take seriously from a political point of view? Well, it's very confusing. I don't see how we can force a democratic government and force them to do things that they actually... There, there's. I mean, why would they switch uh, diplomatic relations between you know from from China to Taiwan overnight because of a petition like that? No, the the, the uh, content of the petition is not saying switch diplomatic relations. It's just saying um, establish diplomatic relations with Taipei. You can't and, have and, both. And the, yeah, I know, but the petition text doesn't go into this. Okay, so let's put it this way. Let's say that in Taiwan, someone wants to maybe have a referendum on having diplomatic relations with North Korea and everybody votes for that and so does it mean that the the government needs to s try to establish diplomatic re relations with North Korea the, as an elected government they are free to carry on the policies they were elected for. You can't force them just because you have a petition or because you want to hold a referendum. Of course. I mean, the, the maximum that they could achieve would be the parliament... Uh, suggesting to the government to do something. They cannot force the government mm -hmm. to, to establish or end diplomatic relations. That's yeah. the government's own um, authority. Of course, we saw a similar one in the UK, I believe, a couple of years ago when there was a petition for the British government to comment on its ties with China and Taiwan. Yeah. And the, the British government said, well, in line with our one-China policy, yeah. it won't change. This, yeah, this is how it would, it would end. That's the best possible outcome that you can... Um, some governments also were asked why would they use the word China, Taiwan on some official websites too. But, well, according to the one-China policy and the agreement they have with the People's Republic of China, that's the way it is. Well, not every one-China policy implies there's an actual agreement. Mm. I mean, there's as many one-China policies as there are countries mm. having relations okay. with China. But... Um, yeah, anyway, this is, I think it's a, the way everybody is jumping on this and um, making a big thing out of this. I mean, it has been, um, it has been reported by the national news in Taiwan. It just shows how desperate Taiwanese people are for any chance to have a little bit of attention. Yeah. And um, even endorsing a somewhat questionable petition text like this, where you don't even know who is behind this. Once this guy steps into the limelight, you, you don't know if he is something... Uh, you would like to be identified with because you don't even know who he is. The Taiwanese representative office in Berlin is sharing this link on its Facebook page telling people to sign there. Even they don't know who actually is behind this. Well, that could end up in into an embarrassment for everybody. It could be because he could be a really nasty, nasty person. Mm. It could be. It could be a nice guy. Nobody knows. I mean, <laughs> I'm, curious, I'm curious to see it. Maybe he should come forward. Yeah, maybe maybe he is surprised himself by. Well, by I'm sure there is a crew of Taiwanese reporters on the way to <laughs> Germany <laughs> to interview him. They will find him. <laughs> but it's curious. That it's open to endorsements by citizens of every any country. Well, the UK one, you have to be a UK resident to sign these petitions. Yeah, it's a bit weird, isn't it? It is. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, they um, they modelled this process after what the Scottish Parliament had in place. So I think in 2005. German Parliament sent a delegation to Scotland to have a look at them, and then they adapted this process uh, somehow. But m maybe in this case, they they don't didn't draw the line uh, clearly enough. And any of these have any of these petitions in history passed? Do you know about? Um, some of them passed. The effects that they had have been minimal so far. So in most cases, it was mostly about the attention, about getting some subject on the agenda and then some legislative or government process starts. Like, like pet rights or something? Something like this, yeah. yeah. And could Belgium have one of these? 
A referendum, I'm not so sure about it, but there is no way that you would just force your way into the government agenda with... Because you've only just got a government after many, many months and years of not having a government. So I guess they're a bit busy getting them government together, yeah? Well, somehow. <laughs> dig at a Belgian there. Anyway, the Civil Aeronautics Administration this week announced that drone operators or UAV owners will need to pass an examination to obtain an operator licence beginning in March the 31st of next year. Now, the move is part of an amendment to the Civil Aviation Act, which was passed by lawmakers last year. And under the new regulations, registration of unmanned aerial vehicles weighing 250 grams and over will become mandatory. Now, officials say that will allow authorities to identify the drone's owners in the event of accidents. Now, the Act also stipulates that drones can only be flown in daylight hours and must stay below 121 metres above ground level, as anything above that poses a danger to aviation safety. Now, other rules... Pretty common sense rules these state that drones should not be operated near highways, freeways, railways, MRTs, buildings and other obstacles. Now, people found operating a drone without a licence will find a maximum penalty of 300,000 NT. So, Dimitri, are you a drone owner? And if you are, will you be taking the examination? Well, I'm not, but I found... I mean, this is consistent with what's happening in other countries. So it's very... uh, It makes sense to uh, regulate this new field. Uh, It also makes sense for Taiwan to do it because I believe that many of the drone parts and the electronic on the drones actually are made in Taiwan. So it would be ironic for us not to do it. So, and at the same time, uh, we can see the danger of maybe operating drones over a large crowd of people. And uh, f- you, you have those, you know, fly over. Uh, that could be actually pose a risk for the people and uh, under the, I mean, under the drone. So, well, it makes, it's pretty consistent with what's happening uh, everywhere. Well, I sometimes work together with TV crews or film production crews who want to come to Taiwan and shoot something. And for a few years now, of course, they uh, have all been bringing their drones with them and they were hoping to get great shots here. And because those regulations are not in place yet, it it always worked out. If you try to start a drone right now next to the airport, it will not even take off because the software already knows which areas are off limits. You tried? Well, not not <laughs> next to the airport. Yeah, not yet. So, um, so, well, as I said, um, th- this is not actually possible anymore. So, um, what I hope for is uh, regulations will be in place. It's okay. It's happening in many other countries. I hope that they will make it well as easy as possible for people coming from abroad to register their drone. I hope there will be a um, reasonably. Um, useful English website for this. I hope they will not have to jump through too many bureaucratic loopholes in order to make it legit. And also, I, th- I think there already there's a discussion about Japan already has a drone registration system. Can they somehow make it compatible, um, similar criteria? So when once you register your drone in one country, uh, it should be pretty easy to bring it to the other. I, ho- I hope things like this will happen instead of some um, regulatory patchwork. I mean, do you see that happening, Dimitri, or let's get really pessimistic here and say there'll be some regulatory um, cluster problem with this? Well, what I like about Taiwan legislation is the first, the goal is to regulate the system, and the second line is always about uh, how much you have to pay in case of violation. So, well, uh, if the government has made his mind, there will be a new regulation, so we hope that well, as you mentioned, foreign crews and then uh, will be able to operate their drones in Taiwan. Too. So they've been at the, the foreign TV crews, you know, they've been at, they've brought their drones into Taiwan, no problem. 
Oh, they can bring all their equipment into Taiwan. The customs doesn't even look at it. I mean, boxes and boxes <laughs> full of technical camera equipment, and they don't even have to open them. And before we go this week, a temple in Zhanghua County is continuing to be flooded with orders for baseball caps bearing the temple's name after a Norwegian triathlete was photographed wearing one on September the 8th at an Ironman World Championship event in France. Now, according to temple official Xu Wei Zhao, it has received over 40,000 other orders for the caps that many believe will bring the wearers good luck thanks to the Norwegian triathlete who won the event wearing one. And the temple says more caps are being produced, but these will be special caps because they'll be emblazoned with the golden seal of the Xuantian Shangdi, a high-ranking Taoist deity honoured by the temple in order to prove they are genuine and not knockoffs. Now, the Norwegian triathlete at the centre of this cap extravaganza, Gustav Eiden, says he could visit Taiwan next year after his social media pages were inundated with messages from people here in Taiwan inviting him to visit, well, Zhanghua. And one of the people who posted an invitation was Zhanghua County Magistrate Wang Huimei, who asked Eiden to visit the country to attend an upcoming series of marathons from October to December. But the Norwegian athlete replied, saying that he would love to visit Taiwan, but cannot do so until after the Tokyo Olympics due to his tight training schedule. So, Dimitri, a lucky temple cap because a Norwegian athlete apparently found one on the ground at an event in Tokyo. Well, it's an interesting story, but it also shows again how maybe some people are desperate for international attention. Just a cap. Well, I just hope that the design of the cap could be actually improved. It's a terrible cap, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Taiwan can... We've seen a lot of very interesting design in recent years, so maybe it's a chance to improve the design of this famous hat. I hope so. I mean, I must say, I have to admit this story completely passed me by. I don't even know how terrible this cat looks like because I haven't seen it. But it sounds like the kind of story that you couldn't make up, so I mm. guess it's true. Yeah. And does it bring you good luck, though? I mean, would you wear a cap that said the name of a temple in Zhanghua because you think it would bring you good luck? If it has been scientifically proven, I would wear it, yeah. And, of course, the funny thing was, Dimitri, this chap, like I said, found it on the floor in Tokyo. Yeah. So it, it, he hasn't actually explained that maybe he found it on the floor in Tokyo, thought it was Japanese, put it on his head, and then said, yeah. Well, it's called a hangout. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the next step, and you will see a lot of politicians wearing the cap in the next few weeks. Wang, That's Jin, Wang Jinping was given one this week, yeah. and ne- mm. newscasters have been wearing the cap on television. Exactly. So, But, of well, course... This overshadowed Terry Gore's famous cap, of course. Yeah, I mean, you need to set your priorities, so I completely understand that. So, Terry Gore's cap or the temple cap, Dimitri? You have to have one. I'm not a cap person, sorry. (laughs) And Klaus, Terry Gore's famous ROC flag cap in pink, as he offered President Tsai Ing-wen, or the blue temple cap, the the proper version emblazoned with a non-knockoff notification. I would take the ROC flag cap. I, I always want to see what happens if I wear it in other countries, maybe Germany or some other third countries. Uh, just wearing it and see if you get some weird looks by Chinese tourists or what kind of reactions you will get. It would be fun. You could go the whole way and just go to China and do that. Yeah, and that would be the next step after I know what, will, what I will get. Yeah. And that's where we'll leave it this week here on Taiwan This Week. And I've been joined in the studio today by Dimitri Buyas. Goodbye. And Klaus Badenhagen. Bye-bye, Gavin. Thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcast on iTunes and Android podcast apps where you can get access to all our previous shows. Tune in again next Friday evening at 9 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. 
And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.